Welcome to ep- episode one of Dead Guys Talking. Is that what we decided the name of this? I think we were going to call it Dead Men Talking. Dead Men Talking. Okay. Episode one, Dead Men Talking. Uh, I'm Arnie Harper. I'm a Pepsi guy. And this is Buddy Johnson, pastor of Stock Creek Baptist Church. And I drink Coke. Actually, I don't. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, we need to have coffee here with us today, I think. Don't I we? do have some. It's a little cold, but it'll work. Cold's better than none. I didn't bring one from you, sorry. Uh, thanks. So let me ask you, why are we? what are we here for? Uh, because you told me I had to, and I think you had some stuff on me from my childhood that if I didn't show up, I'd be in trouble. Well, this is true, and I have had <laughs> for probably for over a year now for us to do this. I've been picking yeah. at you about this. And we just and we just needed to start. So that's what we're doing. If we sound crazy, uh, that's okay. Uh, we had to start somewhere. But we talked about for a long time and prayed about doing this, and uh, we want to call it, at least for now, Dead Men Talking. And the reason for that is, is that we're – we're dead men. Uh, we believe that we are dead to the world and alive to Jesus Christ, that true life is found uh, when we lose ourselves in him. And so we are dead to the world, dead to ourselves, alive to Christ. And we always get together and talk. And so we thought what a good thing to do would be to get together and talk about the things that we just share all the time, uh, looking at how life pertains to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I've uh I guess when I originally started thinking about us doing this, um uh, I've always found our conversations interesting. We've had some really interesting conversations over the years. Uh and the other thing too is I uh, I've often thought if I've wondered if you so at the end of a Sunday sermon and you you're done and you got everything, but was there maybe one little area in a sermon you would like to have kind of gone off on a little tangent and talk? Or, uh, I don't know, just those kind of things that I thought might be profitable for. I've found profitable where you and I've uh, talked. And so I thought, well, what, what the heck? You know, some other people might find that, that kind of stuff profitable as yeah, well. Yeah, I think some people would think that uh, my preaching is pretty much just a collection of tangents. But <laughs> I really No, I said you didn't go off on the tangents. You might want to. So Yeah, so anyway, we, we hope that this will be profitable for the kingdom and yeah. maybe enjoyable for anybody that might dare to, to give us uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes of their time uh, to hear it. So... That's what it is. That's what we're going to try to do. Yeah. So, um, episode one. What's on your heart? What are you going to talk about today? Well, what? Uh, and actually, we we kind of we didn't do a rehearsal, but we talked about this a little bit already. And the thing that the sermon was about yesterday uh, had to do with truth. That was something that was on my heart. Um, how important truth is. I, I found a psalm, <clears throat> Psalm eleven three, and it says this. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we were talking about the idea of uh, for truth and for truth's sake, that you have to have a foundation that is God. And if you remove the foundation of truth that is God, then there is just this bottomless chasm uh, of mankind in their own wisdom and in their own wit trying to search around, fumble around in the dark, Uh, to arrive at what truth and reality is. I thought about it like this. Uh, God has been removed from so much of our lives. Uh, God 
has been removed from our homes. You know, I don't know. I'm not uh, that much of a of a history expert at all, but when the Industrial Revolution comes along, uh, men become very busy in pursuing those kinds of things, and as uh, technologies uh, increase, men become busier and, and start running around and moving more. Church starts to get left behind. Uh, you could almost say that in many ways God gets pushed out of the home, and then he gets pushed out of education. Uh, we can talk about that, and I'm sure we will talk about that a lot more. Certainly, he gets pushed out of the culture. He's never been uh, big in the culture. Just distortions of him have been present in the culture, and that's uh, almost worse than no presence at all. Uh, and then the government, uh, you know, we used to um, think about things like in God we trust. Uh, America used to be a place where we were very proud of the fact that we come from and stand upon a Judeo-Christian ethic. Not so much anymore. He gets pushed out of the government. And worst of all, maybe, is he gets pushed out of the church. Uh, there's so many iterations of the church today where truth is not important. What's important is the experience. Yeah. And the experience can be anything. So uh, that's kind of a starting point of where I want to start today. So this foundation's been removed. Uh, God pushed out of the home. Uh, God pushed out of education. God pushed out of culture. God pushed out of the government. And God pushed out of the church. So now, what is left? Right. Well, it's interesting you talked about us defining it by our own experience. I sent you a tweet I saw on Twitter. It may have been yesterday. I'm not sure. said, either God's Word is the supreme standard that rules over all of us, or we're left to interpreting life by our own experience. Unfortunately, that's true for much of the church as well. Yep, it sure is. Uh, uh, you know, we begin to define... Uh, experience with God, growth in God, uh, the the ministry of His church by experience as opposed to what does the Bible say? What does the New Testament church look like? Yeah, and experience is subjective. Uh, you know, I, I have to be very cautious that anything that that I uh, build my life upon that comes from the root of my uh, experience, I don't know how I'm interpreting that. Uh, my everything that I bring to the table from my education, my upbringing, my peer group, uh, my culture, all of that, uh, all of that comes to weigh up on the way that I interpret my experience without an objective source of truth to stand on. And again, if that objective truth uh, is not referred to as God, and, and by the way, we'll be clear too, we are absolute biblical inerrantists. We believe that every word of, the, uh, every word of God in the Bible is, is true and is truth. And so if, if you don't have that objective standard to lean on, then it's just how you see it, which, by the way, fits in great with our culture. Today. Oh, absolutely. People love that, you know, I mean, because it, it gives me a sense of importance and of power. Uh, unfortunately, it's an illusion. Uh, you could say a delusion. Uh, well, what, what, it, what it allows us to do is so we can eliminate the parts we don't like that don't make us feel real good and... We substitute that with all the stuff that makes us feel good. So if I like hearing preaching, it makes me feel good. I'm not saying preaching shouldn't necessarily make you feel good, but that, that's not the goal, right? Correct. So the goal is to preach God's Word as it's written in the Bible, as God spoke it into existence in the Bible. That is the way the Word's supposed to be preached, but we could... You know, we could we could preach a message that just makes the end goal is to make us feel good, 
uh, we can sing songs that the end goal is to make us feel good and have some type of emotional experience with, quote, God. Uh, or we can do acts of service and things in the community to make us ultimate. Ultimately, it's very selfish because we do those things so we want to feel better about ourselves as opposed to trying to obey God and in how we preach and how we sing and honor him with uh, congregational singing and uh, a congregational worship service and in how we approach missions or outreach, whatever you want to call it, in the community. What's the, the, the ultimate goal is to glorify God and to make his name known as opposed to making us feel good and feel like we're valuable exactly and that is the function of that's the function of truth i mean it sounds weird to say it this way but if you talk about true truth versus cultural truth or subjective personal truth uh, what is the standard and objective of truth in the bible is to create uh, authentic life uh, authentic preaching authentic discipleship authentic missional work, authentic uh, joy, all of those kinds of things come from truth. So when you take those out, the only thing you are left with are uh, momentary substitutes. Now, you also, uh, to, to add to or to, compile or to make worse uh, that situation, is you have the devil who's complicit in that, who is trying to remind us all the time of how uh, important the feelings of our flesh and of the moment are. And so he draws us into those temptations, and he pulls us along that way. So we have this thing within us. We've lost the standard of truth, and we have this drive within us to find these things, uh, significance and uh, joy and pleasure and all those things. But But we have no standard of basis of what to measure what that really is by. So the devil dangles the carrots and the fruits and all those kinds of things, uh, the pastries, whatever that was. What was the thing in Narnia that the boy wanted? Anyway, the white witch well, offered uh, yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there goes the old man memory. But all of those things, uh, but without truth, you don't have it. So if we think about if you remove God from there, how do you arrive? What is the foundation then or truth or reality? How do we establish what is real, what is true, and what is significant. Now, I'll, I'll stir you with this. It's in some ways just herd agreement. And we were talking a lot about herd immunity, you know, so everybody gets it. And when everybody gets it, then everybody's immune to it. Well, you could almost think of it like this, this herd agreement. When everybody gets the cultural truth of the moment, when everybody gets the philosophies that are acceptable to a society, then they can become more and more immune to whatever is delivered to them about real truth. So whatever the salesperson and the king, I put, I put this down, whatever the salesperson and kings get the masses to believe. Uh, the salespeople, you know, they tap into the influencers, the con artists, the salesmen, um, or the kings who have the power to wield over people to make them believe something. Does that make any sense? That the ramblings of a lunatic. No, no. <laughs> so what you're saying is that ultimately our refusal to recognize real truth and to accept this subjection uh, – subjectional truth is grows out of our own selfishness because right ultimately it's because we're selfish and we want so are you saying when you talk in terms of rulers or sales guys you're saying 
they feed into our selfishness. They play to into draw that. us. They play mm-hmm. on our selfishness. Right. Selfishness and, and fears. If you take the idea of a herd, okay, in a herd, uh, something's going to lead a herd. It's either going to be the alphas, the, the leaders of the herd, who by definition really have no more sense or no more higher goal or aspiration. In other words, if you take the head sheep, it's still a sheep, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not some uh, uh, uber sheep. It's just the head sheep. It's still a sheep. Or if they have a shepherd. And so at best, if, if the herd follows the alphas, which happens a lot in society, right? The loudest, the most brash, the one right. willing to the one willing to walk toward the whatever direction and to have the others follow, you know, call it the it factor, charisma, whatever it may be. But at best, what are they going to end up doing? They're going to eat, they're going to reproduce, and when something comes that threatens them, they're going to run. <clears throat> so they're not moving to any kind of higher plane. They're just kind of existing on basic animal instinct. So you have this herd mentality that moves them toward that. So now these influencers, the alphas or whatever, uh, they are one of them and they just move along. And so one sheep goes, oh, look, that sheep's pretty cool. Or, oh, look, that sheep's pretty smart. I want to kind of follow along with that. So they just blindly stumble. I mean, the Bible says we're all like sheep that have gone astray. Uh, none of us move toward what is right. And so when the blind lead the blind, what does the Bible say you end up in? The ditch. So you have that kind of way to arrive at truth. So what is real? Well, the herd just kind of agrees with this one today. So that must must be true. Well, that's where the herd's going. So it's got to be true, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, so the direction defines it itself. Right. And so then it just continues to snowball. The other way is uh, by a shepherd. And uh, in the case of the world, obviously Jesus is the great shepherd, but if you take the world, the world uh, has all kinds of different shepherds or leaders and they manipulate people. Sometimes they do it by seduction. They play on the senses or they flatter the ego or they uh, bring up shame. For example, if you don't believe in certain mantras of the of especially of the left today. If you don't believe in those mantras, then you must be an idiot. You know, like when we were talking earlier, yeah. you said, yeah, you're an idiot if you don't believe that. Well, right. that's how they make you feel. Well, uh, in our humanity, the the another part of our brokenness that wants to be loved and liked by the world to please men, we fall right into that trap. We don't want to be ashamed. We want to be thought of as smart. And so we can be manipulated by that. Uh, intellectual approval, same thing, ties into the same thing. Or by power, sometimes by force. Uh, you have government entities that force you to do things, that 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 just basically uh, hoist themselves upon you and make you do it. So all of those are bad ways because they're coming from man. Whether it's by seduction or by force, uh, those are all coming from man, and those are bad sources of truth. So we've talked about uh, false truth or things that are not truth that we as society follow one another or seek ourselves or, or you know, uh, define in and of ourselves. So let's talk about real truth. So as Christians, we evangelical Christians, we obviously have a source of real, definitive, concrete truth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Word of God. 
And uh, some people say, well, you're, that's bibliolatry. You know, um, the Word of God is a reflection of who God is, the uh, inerrant revelation of Himself. He has revealed Himself um, clearly um, in several ways, one by creation. Creation tells us that there is something greater than us. Uh, if you understand or you look at biology, physics, uh, any any number of the sciences that are supposed to like separate us from this need from God, what they all really do is point to God. The, the creation is so magnificent that a thinking, a genuinely thinking person has to step back from that and go, wow, something had to design this. Uh, you, you don't even have to arrive yet at an understanding of the biblical God, but he's revealing himself in that way. Secondly, he reveals himself by his word. He revealed himself. He delivered himself through his word. And we see the picture of his working with mankind, uh, how he is very intimately putting mankind together for a relationship with himself, how he uh, places his image on mankind. What an incredible thought. Uh, far too deep for us to contemplate, but he puts his image on man, and then he uh, works with that man. Even though that man has fallen, he comes and intervenes, and the Bible tells us of that story, how Jesus comes and takes the penalty of man's sin upon himself and rises from the dead that through repentance and faith we can have a relationship. Uh, so there is this word of God that, that the Lord gives us. Again, there's battles about that. Uh, what is it? Did men write that or did God write that? Uh, if men are the authors of Scripture, we ought to throw it away. Uh, it, there, there's no sense in restraining our ego or our urges uh, if, if what has been written there is just by men and their reflections on God. But what we understand is this. It's more than that. It is the, it is the revealed truth of God where the Holy Spirit of God is working through men to write down exactly and precisely. Uh, if I can't believe that my God can precisely communicate his word in a perfect way, how in the world could I ever believe that he would have the power to save my eternal soul? So we see that. And then ultimately, we find the expression of truth in Jesus Christ himself. He comes and embodies that. Everything, the, all of the power and glory of creation uh, embodied and more brightly so in, the, in Jesus taking on flesh, the reality of Jesus being the embodiment of the character and nature of God, uh, coming for the work of God and all of those things. So we find in that truth. So now when we connect to that, through repentance and faith, that truth can then be lived out to us. But maybe more importantly, it, it well, maybe not more importantly, but it awakens us to the reality of how we're stumbling around without truth in the world. So, how does that practically? So, so I've been living my life, following the masses, buying whatever the 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 latest subjective truth of the world. But I'm a Christian. How do I focus on real truth? What do I do to realign this false truth with the real truth? How does that? How does that practically, daily, practically? How do I do that? I'm trying to think of a way to say that without being too verbose. Yeah. <laughs> too late already. Um, no, that, that that's the heart of it. I mean, you're exactly right. Um, some of the things that I've looked at lately is this idea of we have to awaken to it first. Now, 
we know that the Holy Spirit works. He comes uh, to bring instruction, uh, to convict the world or to convince the world, to illuminate the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, for the Christian, he has come to indwell us. Uh, he will spark our heart. He will draw us toward that truth. Uh, but it is also possible for the Christian uh, to become, because of distraction, whatever it may be, uh, for some time to, to be swept away in the power of the culture without even being aware of it. Um, that's how that sort of thing works. Now, we can get into a discussion maybe later about the, the reality of the reaction of the genuine Christian, somebody who's genuinely born again, how far can they go, how fooled can they be, uh, as opposed to the uh, nominal or false professor of, of religion. Um, but one of the things that I was looking at had to do with just realizing who we are. Now, do you need to know all the philosophies and everything? No, but you need to be aware of these. Uh, a man by the name of Alan Bloom, a, a professor of philosophy at, at Chicago University in the 80s, he, he wrote a book called The Closing of the American Mind. Basically, it was how the educational systems of today, through uh, pushing the ideas of relativism on students and on the thinking of the academy, kind of created a situation where, uh, in, in, and if you take kind of just the gist of the book, and I don't want to misinterpret or put words in uh, into the book that aren't there, but it basically says this, because of relativism, we've come to the part of having such an open mind that we don't have enough substance left there. Uh, we don't have enough capability to distinguish between good and bad, meaningful and insignificant, or even right and wrong. And so this idea of relativism, truth being subjective, uh, truth being situational, uh, situational ethic or uh, relative truth, where the circumstance, the situation, the day and age changes what truth actually is. Uh, again, not to get too far off base, but one of the ways that happened in the church is that uh, many proponents of preaching uh, a few years back were pushing for something called reader response, where basically the word of truth did not come out of the word of God. Truth occurred when the preacher spoke the word and the understanding of the listener heard the word, and somehow in that contemporary mix, truth was created. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and so you see how that stuff kind of comes. Well, so Bloom comes along and says that. So now you've kind of lost the substance uh, of, of mankind's thinking ability. And then another kind of work that's along in that same age was by the, uh, a man by the name of Neil Postman. And he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, uh, how sitting in front of a television uh, or being addicted to a television, how that created in us a certain way of looking at life and losing whole of reality. So now you have God removed and you have this uh, academy and, and culture pushing people toward relativism. Then you throw in that the shallowness of entertainment. Well, what you're appealing to is the sensual part of man. And it just so happens it's the sensual part of man is the most furthest removed from God. I think our intellect and absolutely our spirit are already naturally closer to God than the sensual man. In sin, none of them are there, right? But um, just in their natural occurrence. So, so all this is being appealed to. So how do we get past that? Well, the Bible says that as we function in the spirit and not in the flesh, that we walk more closely with God and we can be in tune with his truth. Uh, how do I, in a practical sense, uh, it, it comes through practice. Uh, I think we discipline ourselves to delight 
And what I mean is those things that we don't naturally practice, if we will discipline ourselves to do them, they eventually become our delight. But we have to wake up to it first to say, hey, wait a minute, something's not right. Right. I'm sorry, I've carried on too long. No, 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 no. Um, So if I'm hearing you, so ultimately it comes down to, well, first off, God's got to change our hearts, correct? Yeah. And then from there, we've got a, there's an element of discipline and recognizing uh, the selfishness that, already naturally dwells in us that we're tempted to to want to focus on the things that we want to focus on and not necessarily things that God wants us to focus on so we've got to we got to uh, you know God's got to touch our hearts he's got to change our hearts then we've got to recognize our pr- propensity to f- seek after the selfish and discipline ourselves to seek after God, as he's revealed himself to us in naturally in all of creation, because creation itself is proof that there's a creator. And then also how God has revealed himself in the pages of scripture uh, and seek after that. But the only way you can do that is to actually pursue that. Absolutely right. And as you were saying that, what kind of um, came to my mind is this. When it comes to that, there's two sides of it. There's that which we there, there's the there's the positive of moving toward God, and there's well, I guess it's a positive on both sides of moving away from the world. I think that we as Christians, most of us, we're aware of the fact. Like when I preach on Sunday and I say, "You need to be closer to God. You need to pursue God." We know that. You know, I mean, who who is either a genuine Christian or a regular churchgoer doesn't know that intellectually. What we don't know and what we refuse to face is how entrenched we are in the thinking and the love of the world. Yeah, right. And, and that's I think that's what hit me about this idea of truth. Uh, you know, we, we are so we are such creatures of our culture. We are so deeply immersed in it. And it is a, a culture totally devoid of truth. Yeah. And you say, well, wait a minute. What do you mean it's totally devoid of truth? Well, uh, as, as you and I were talking earlier, to me, if something if something is not focused on God, uh, it either directly reflects God or we understand it and we indulge in it, we participate in it, we engage with it as a, as a means to move toward God, then it's really not, in some senses, biblical truth at all. I mean, it's, it's all a lie. It's all an illusion. Uh, it all leads us away from God. So... To become aware of that, we can't love the world, and I think the reality is that we as Christians love the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I think you're right. And we don't recognize that that is not truth, and so we are as manipulable <laughs> as as lost people in many cases, um, because the foundation of truth that has been washed away from the world, pulled out of the world. We see these other things as true also. They're just true in a different realm. We have to come to the realization that they are not true. They're designed by the devil to remove us from God. Now, does that mean we don't ever participate in anything, sports, business, life? No, but we understand what they are. 
and we understand why we are engaged in them and, and what the objective is with them. And that's a very different thing. So I think in a practical sense, we have to awaken to the idea that this stuff is not truth. It is error. It is falsehood. And so starting Are you telling that, me the American dream is not true? <laughs> Oh, it's very true in a, in a worldly, <laughs> secular sense. Uh, and, you know, if we're really, really honest, how many good church-going folk have, have sold their soul for the American dream? Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, you know, someday we're going to have to do one of these about true and false conversion. Um, but assuming now that everybody that professes for the sake of this argument is is born again, actually, which is a horrible assumption. Don't hear us if anybody actually listens to this. Both of you out there listening to this, <laughs> if you ever hear this, uh, we're not saying that everybody that claims to be is saved. Uh, but you have these churchgoers. And it looks so much like the world. Uh, that's a cliche. There's no, there's nothing brilliant or insightful in saying that, right? Right. But uh, but that is the key. We have to wake up to that. Yeah. We have to be aware of this lack of total total lack of truth in the cultural secular sense. Uh, that is, uh, you know, chicken or egg. To see the beauty and magnificence and glory of God, which the heart of the Christian is drawn toward anyway. Yeah. Uh, but we can't keep one hand in the world and one in one hand on God. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it, it's uh, that's a, that's a that's setting yourself up for a shock. <laughs> you know, you don't grab the positive and negative at the same time. <laughs> something's gonna something's yeah. gonna give, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be yeah. an awakening. Uh, so God doesn't deal with us in that way. He wants us to reject that. Uh, but we have to wake up to it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good uh, probably place to uh, uh, call it a day here on our first episode. Uh, it gives us plenty of opportunity based on this conversation, places to launch out on our second episode. Anything you want to say in closing? No, I just appreciate you uh, pushing us to get this started <laughs> and to do this. We'll we'll see what comes of it. I, yeah. You know, I do pray that it's. I think it's going to be fun for us. Uh, I, I hope I hope that we don't uh, end up just staring across the table and saying, "Why did we ever start?" I don't <laughs> think we. I think it'd be fun for us. But I hope that it eventually becomes edifying for other people and most of all profitable for the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. That's my goal. That's my heart in this, and we'll just see how God might choose to use this. I want to thank Ian, our chief engineer, for. Uh, <laughs> helping us put that together today so uh with that we're going to close and uh, we'll see you next time on dead men talking